Simpsons Index, an online spreadsheet that is also a podcast. This is the podcast. Coming to you out of SideQuest Studios, this is The Simpsons Index, episode 168. Hello out there, I'm your host, Elliot J. O'Neill, and here as always, except when he's not, is BT Calloway. Oh, hi, hi. And joining us all the way from Adelaide in South Australia, once again, Christopher Bond. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Hey, man, and thank you for joining us for The Simpsons Index. This is a podcast where we watch and review three episodes of The Simpsons at a time, but there's a twist. Each episode must come from a different decade. Now, thank you uh, once again for joining us, Chris. Thank you very much for having me. And, yeah, I've been really enjoying the latest season of Vampire the Masquerade. Mm-hmm. Like, Tell me, how much fun was it to torture your fellow uh, friends at Baby Beard Media? I don't think they understood when they created Roll to Cast, our RPG actual play podcast, that they would uh, give me permission to torment them as <laughs> as much as I did. I don't think they realised the significance of what they were doing by giving a, a vampire game over to me. Um, it yeah. was a lot of fun. I got to create a really fun horror story for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was great. Yeah, been absolutely loving it. And yeah, you guys got season three coming out soon? We do. We can't talk about season three, uh, literally because of legal reasons, but uh, if you like role-playing games, uh, check out Roll to Cast. <laughs> Having an NDR is very exciting. Yeah, I know. Isn't it just? <laughs> and <laughs> just, just for fans at home, this is the full title is Roll to Cast, Vampire the Masquerade, Adelaide by Night. Ah, yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> Available now in all good pod feeds, as well as The Simpsons Index and Thrones of Game and others. Well, anyway, let's hook into our first episode review today, which was from the HD era. This was Season 22, Episode 11, Flaming Mo, Singular. First released in January of 2011, it was directed by Chuck Sheets. He certainly does. Yeah. And written by Matt Selman. In this episode, Smithers goes into business with Mo to rebrand the most tavern as a, a gay bar. And in the B story, Principal Skinner falls head over heels with the new music teacher, Mrs. Juniper. Miss Juniper. Hey, what did we think? Oh, yeah. This is a HD era sort of episode, isn't it? Sure is. Sure is, yeah. I, I will say that um, I was a little bit worried going into this one because in, you know, isolation, just let me catch up with a bunch of movies that aren't necessarily, that I knew were not necessarily good because I didn't, so I didn't want to waste my time with them when I, their time was pressing. So now that I have more time, I'm watching shitty movies and I thought maybe my standards will have been lowered to a point where I won't hate this. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was difficult. It's, hmm... It's uh, hate-worthy. Um, it's just... Mm, I have issues. It's just so poorly plotted, and it's overstuffed. It's, it's overstuffed all over the place, unfocused, and at the same time, where it is focused is in the wrong parts. No. Mm. It's <sighs> such a weird episode because there are so many moments like from a larger point of view. This is rife for kind of Simpsons satire yeah you know there's uh, allusions to milk there's mm-hmm. um you know a character changing up a thing to suit circumstances blah, blah 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 it seems like it's in the right ballpark and it misses it so fantastically yep every time it's kind of exciting to be like wow how did you get it so wrong yeah. <laughs> and yeah, let's jump straight into the questionnaire. And yeah, we'll start with you, BT. For better or worse, what's something stands out to you? Uh, I'm going to throw to something I enjoyed, which is when they're in the arcade, there's a bunch of classic Simpsons arcade machines in the background, like Touch of Death, mm. uh, Triangle World Wars. Larry the Looter. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see uh, 
I don't know how it's pronounced, Polybius, the uh, the the urban legend uh, video game that was meant to make people commit suicide. Oh. That's featured in the background of some Simpsons episodes. It's really weird. P-L-Y-B-I-U-S. Check it out. It's strange. Oh. Mm. But uh, hey, I enjoyed those references. Like, hey, I remember those. Good to see the writers still do too. <laughs> oh, good to get the episode off on a positive note, BT. That's yeah, my positivity. This is my positive voice. <laughs> and how about you, Chris? What stands out to you for better or worse? I'm going to start with something for better. I quite enjoyed the beginning of the Smithers arc. Firstly, him getting rejected by Mr. Burns for not being mm. a self-made man seems very in keeping with the character. I really like that as well. I thought it was a good launch point. Mm. And then being rejected from the gay club because he is not, you know, performing masculinity enough to be considered gay, which um, is something that happens. And, you know, so both of those things seem on point, having Smithers have to go off and be himself, be a self-made man, and uh, the reality of him as a gay character. Both seem very good, a very good start to an episode, potentially. Mm. <laughs> it had potential. Yeah, and I kind of want to run that. Actually, no, we'll get to it later. I'll, I'll stop stealing limelight. Elliot, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I agree. It seemed like a really kind of nuanced take, given like how unfortunately stereotypical Simpsons have been in dealing with gay culture in the past, that this is like a specific point that they were sort of almost honing in on and ready to have a good take on. But then it just turned into a bunch of stereotypes and stuff, and I found it so disappointing. Mm. No, it's pretty much exactly what I was going to say. It's like, I like that when they start off, all the stereotypes are kind of just coming from Mo's perspective, not necessarily the show. Mm. And then they come from the show, and then they do both, which is weird. <laughs> Yeah. It's like it's both Mo being, you know, a stereotypical, uh, having his reactions to this, and then it's the show doing the same thing. It's like, oh, you just, you fucking lost it. God damn it. It's mm. almost as if they don't realize what they're satirizing when they I make know. Mo into that character, when he's, you know, un yeah. unaware of the stereotypes. It's like, haha, those are funny. We'll make yeah. Mo say them. Then we yeah. can say them later. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing, guys? Come yeah, on. It, it retroactively removes the faith I had in the episode for having you know, Mo being that perspective character, but him usually being the creep and stuff like that, that he yeah. might would have the, the very old world thinking. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> and what stands out to me, for better or worse, uh, is the fucking Miss Juniper story. <laughs> like, just... Yep. Yeah, introduce it in the second act. And from there, it was just... Anytime it was on screen, it was just at breakneck pace moving through its own plot. And... Mm. Like, it's, again, so disappointing because there's so much potential there for a free spirit person bringing out Skinner's freak flag a bit, mm -hmm. but you just don't see it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's he literally drives away and you don't see it. It's mm. all cut away. <laughs> Sorry, what season was this again? 22. 22, okay. So, old enough that if they had decided, you know what, let's just introduce a new character. They could have done that, and we could have been like, yeah, sure, let's let this be a continuing thing. Why the hell not? It's 22 seasons. They've burned every other idea. May as well enjoy some, in, inject a new element. And it's not like Largo's a character that, you know, anyone would miss anyway yeah, if they wanted the to slightest. replace the music teacher. Yeah, mm. that's right. I was genuinely surprised at, just on your point, Elliot, the kind of like anticipatory nature that the episode had regarding that narrative. It like almost knew in the tone of it that he's going to mess it up like he already was kind of like full of that self-doubt of like this isn't a real storyline don't don't really worry about it it's it's chill you don't actually have to look at what's happening on screen look at what's happening in the background of the shots with yeah. willie and all of that sort of stuff yes oh the obviousness of that as well but like the thing i'm planning hasn't gone off yet and of course like the uh center of the camera yeah. is right on this thing of ah oh, it's so 
as a line, it was much better. Yeah. Like, I didn't need the visual to back it up. Oh, that's the thing. Yeah. Well, especially because, yeah, the HD frame and they're taking advantage of the 16.9 by having Skinner and Bart on extreme opposite ends and all the focus is pointing out the window. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, just the worst way to do a background gag. Here's the instigating event. Don't pay attention to it because we have gags in the background. We yes. can't make comedy out of our own writing. So here's some <laughs> Willy stuff being funny. It's just so disappointing. Yep. Well, no, that's it. They don't have faith in their own dialogue that they can't put that front and center. They have to undercut it with these stupid background jokes. Yeah, and there yeah. were a lot of like lines in passing that I actually did get a good chuckle out of. Some that then ruined themselves by going on for too long, but I got some laughs out of this one. Yeah. The way, like, I always sort of appreciate when The Simpsons at least go to the effort to, you know, give these B stories some sort of connection to the mm. main story. But when it all it is is Mr. Largo leaving because he found someone at the bar to set up the music teacher which of Lisa's class, which then Skinner gets Bart to accomplice him on. It's just yeah. so poorly plotted and confused. Yeah. yeah. It's so divorced from its own narrative. In mm. I think we've said this a few times of these episodes, and you guys have done it yourselves where you've said this. It seems as though it's the first draft. Yeah. Oh, like, totally. As if Bart was the, oh, there's a troublemaker. Oh, let's put Bart in. Okay, uh, it can be set in, I don't know, Lisa's classroom. And there's no, like... Someone going back and going, hey, to make this tighter, let's have it that Lisa's the person who goes along and encourages. Because yeah. that's a good parallel. She has a relationship existing with the previous teacher, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Like, there's this sense of it just kind of rattling on quickly with no regard for what's happened previously, as if to get the episode over, as if it's mm. a B-plot out of necessity rather than want, uh, out of convenience or like, you know, a habit rather than an actual desire to have a fucking B-plot in the episode. Yeah. Despite that, yeah, pivot point of where the B story emerges, yeah, it has so little to do with the plot then Mm -hmm. from then on. And it's like when you introduce it this late into the story as well, like because there's plenty of great episodes that have unconnected A and B stories. But Mm. yeah, Mm. when it's done this badly, it feels that much more egregious. Yeah, I literally just wrote down and Skinner's in love with her. Okay, cool. Yeah. This is what we're doing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He literally climbs up a cliff off screen and just appears into the story. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that fucked? (laughs) Play count. Have you seen this episode before tonight? No. Uh, Yeah. I had a couple of times. I generally like season 22, but there are some episodes that I skip over. Mm. Anyway, uh, the wackiness. (laughs) Was this a particularly wacky episode of The Simpsons? Yeah. In some regards. Mm-hmm. In ways that aren't very Simpson-esque, it was wacky. The Mr. Burns head flap and the yep. uh, kind that. of psychedelic dreamscape. I think in that scene is like the perfect illustration of like the way that Simpsons are successful at their weird jokes and not. Because I really liked the top of his head falling off when he sneezed. Yep. Like mm. that was just really cute and quick. But then the dementia and dinosaur and riding a lawyer. Yeah, that was yes. dumb shit. That fucking sucked. Because there's a whole bit where they're just like, oh, well, we have to get this will done in the half hour that you're sane. And now, wait, here comes the dementia. It's like, that's never been Mr. Burns. He's old and he's falling apart and he's decrepit. And sometimes he forgets what era he's in, but he's never never absent-minded like that. Yeah. It's just such a lampshade. There's a lot of lampshading in this episode of just like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if, I don't know, Mr. Burns rolled around in a dinosaur, like pretended he was a dinosaur. Okay, how do we get to that punchline? 
Yeah. Let's work backwards. Let's just shout it. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's almost like I don't know even because I think I might have liked the just animation bit if it was just that because I really I think it looked really good. It was very evocative of that very early mm. style of yeah black and white animation and uh, the film grain looked great. But then yeah, riding around on the blue haired lawyer. Oh, yeah. Mm. Homer mm. going, ah, a dinosaur. Like, yeah, that was awful. Um, the big E being thrown into the window for the Scrabble was a, mm-hmm. a nice little wacky cutaway that I thought was was honest, at least. <laughs> I enjoyed that, especially for uh, old Jewish man's delivery of, I challenge. <laughs> yeah, I challenge. I quite like that. That was not bad. Yeah. Oh, what was the wacky bit in the bar? You're going to have to narrow that down. Half the episode t- takes place in the bar. Oh, the uh, dog? Oh, yeah, Moe's, uh, what did he call it, Neil Patrick Hellas. Yeah, yes. that was weird. And then it has a disco light on its collar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I found this, like, pivot in the story, like, really awkward of mm. Marge first calling Moe out on it. And, like, yeah, what do you guys think of how this all played out? Bad. Like, <laughs> it almost salvaged itself because, you know, Moe leads all these people along uh, thinking that he's, like, gay representative, letting them believe he himself is gay to the point where they're going to elect him. And I, he has a speech at the end where he talks about, oh, I didn't mean to mislead you. I just felt accepted. And I they almost salvaged this plot line by having it be about that. But it just didn't drive it hard enough. It was like, no, nah, you just seem like an ass. And, like, the worst kind. Yeah. It yeah. almost was an opportunity for Mo to be, like, the morally sympathetic character. Or, yeah. or them to turn on it and be like, hey, sure, okay, but, like... This has been hundreds of years of oppression. Like, you don't get to turn this into your mm. pity parade. Exactly. Yeah. Like, either one going, like, either of those extremes would have been fine for a big emotional payoff. And I think you could do it with this, but it's just like, why not? Why not mm. do that? And it just kind of straddled the middle line, I think, pretty disappointingly. Yeah, and I don't think, like, there was an instigating incident for Mo to, like, realise that there's a massive benefit with doing this. He just sort of denies that he's doing it and then just starts. Oh, like, you're right. Because there is the line at the end, which I, I actually quite like the line, and it's like, I was originally just gay for your money, and, oh, boy, I really did love yeah. that money. And, like, if there was, like, any showing about Mo doing that earlier in the episode, it might have felt better to me anyway. I don't know. Yeah, like, where he acknowledges that his bar is full for the first time in a while. Yeah. Again, you know, again, like, we've seen that, and The Simpsons lampshade that fact as well. Like, he's changed the bar a few times. But yeah. having that moment where he's like, hey, the bar is full of queer people. Good. I'm getting money. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, and if they'd done a thing where, you know, because his whole deal is, oh, I didn't want to tell you because I thought then you'd leave the bar, have them go, we loved your bar because it was a place where we were accepted no matter who we were. We didn't care who you if you were gay or not. Would have been fine. I would have had that, again, that drive of acceptance going, but it didn't. No, mm. and I really hate this ending because it's like, oh, who do we pick? The liar or the denier? And then someone makes this big impassioned speech and the rains come down and everyone just then gets bored and just sort of wanders off. Yeah. It's such a bad scene. Particularly when you've got the obvious answer from a narrative perspective right there. It's mm-hmm. fucking Smithers. Yeah, that's yeah. how you tie the narrative together. Is he takes over and he runs for public office or whatever, whatever the position is. Yeah, because that's how this whole thing got started with Mr. Burns saying, "I don't respect you because you're such a patsy, and I only respect self-made people." So exactly. there he could have stepped right in, quite literally stepped in and just took over. Yep, have Burns down there and be like, "Well, Waylon, you're in my will," and Smithers being like, "Okay, well, I'm going to see you at the next council meeting or or whatever. Who cares?" Like. But, like, here's an opportunity to wrap the narrative up 
for the, the episode's fucking protagonist, which is Smithers in this instance. Yeah. What was supposed to be. And again, the potential with this episode, because, uh, yeah, I agree. Like, I really liked that instigating thing of Burns, like, no, you're my employee. Why would I leave you in the will? Like, that makes sense from a perspective, and then for Smithers to get hurt. And then the resolution to that is just Mr. Burns going, oh, you opened a bar. Well done. I respect you now. Mm. And then it turns into a joke about Lemon Party. Oh, God. Don't yeah. remind me that happened. Mm. But this whole like final scene with it is what I was kind of talking about before, where the it switches from Mo being the butt of these stereotypical opinions to the show. Um, so basically, the whole thing is, you know, Waylon gets up there and he's all like, "Oh, well, if you're really one of us, you find me attractive." And then Mo is like, "Oh yeah, like all gay men, I find all men attractive." That being him being the character saying that, not the show. So he's like, "Oh well, then you won't mind kissing me." And then everyone's like, "Ooh, yeah, go ahead and do it." It's like mm, this is a thing that happens in real life, sure. Mm. It feels so weird because, yeah, comic book gay. Yeah, we'll <sighs> get to that. Pointing out that it's an insidious stereotype, and then they have an insidious stereotype comment on it. Yeah, like- well, it's not even that because then you know Mo goes, "Ah, oh, no, I can't possibly kiss you because I'm just too straight." And then everyone finds out, and everyone leaves, and then he kisses Smithers anyway. And then when he leaves, Smithers smiles like he really liked it. It's like, so you've said this is an insidious stereotype and then followed it, not only with a joke, but the episode itself states it. It's like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> That's such a frustrating experience. <laughs> the yeah. idea that also Mo might be a queer character, he might be bisexual, and they fucking closeted this character by having it unresolved mm. means that they are still keeping characters like under wraps because of their sexuality it's fucking nightmarish like what's the actual point of this episode from anyway yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's such I'm... a shame because yeah in the hd era they have brought smithers out he's out and mm. but anytime that they do an episode that pulls focus on him they're just it's not handled with yeah. uh but that's the thing, nuance it, and... it started off being that way especially yeah when mm. um you know he goes to the club and gets rejected for not being good looking or well-dressed enough like that's you know a nuanced take on it and it just loses that so much over the course of the episode yeah so was this a particularly heartfelt episode no <laughs> no and you know what it could have been and that makes mm. me feel for it a tiny bit but not mm. enough to make me actually feel for it kind of like a i don't know a picture of a sad dog. I'm like, oh, <laughs> this isn't real. Oh well, but ah, but still a you sad know? dog. But ah, it yeah. has the potential to make me feel something, but it's not. So no, oh, well. it's a good metaphor. I'll give you that. Man. Yeah, <laughs> is it? Is it? <laughs> well done. Yeah, no, I, I get it entirely. Because <laughs> yeah, a photo of Seymour the dog Futurama probably do nothing to you. Watch Jurassic Park, weep your goddamn eyes out. Exactly. Tears, tears. <laughs> But yeah, I think we've like covered the lack of and uh, lost potential with the heart in the Smithers story. But, you know, to give some fucking attention to the Skinner, Miss Juniper story, which, by the way, uh, the teacher, Miss Juniper, was played by Kristen Wiig and her daughter, Melody, was played by Alison Hannigan. Oh, right. Mm. Yeah. Would have been funny if they could find someone with the last name Merkin. She'd have Wig and Merkin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's probably not a last name, but... Uh... You mean... Uh, showrunner of The Simpsons, David Merkin. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Well, there we go. I could have been right. <laughs> uh, what do we yep. think of their performances? Fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, there's no, nothing really for them to do other than just read the lines, and they do it competently, but there's no... I don't think any of them really have punchlines or any no. emotional lifting to do or anything, so... Yeah. It's uninspired. It's mm. safe. There's no voice work that's going on. They're just reading lines. Yeah. It's fine. It's competent. It's, it doesn't break the bank. 
or yeah. doesn't hurt, you know, as a performance, I guess. It's a shame that this story lets down these characters so much because mm. I think, yeah, having a Manic Pixie Dream Teacher and a Manic Pixie Dream Girl for Bart and Skinner, like, that is a in- very interesting relationship dynamic, but they don't do anything and they break through all fucking plot within a couple of scenes of... Yeah, the relationship and Bart said something mean, so now they're going to move away. Like, Yeah, that yeah. was fucking off. And within yeah. that same scene, Principal Skinner's off with them. It's just... Yeah, so it's like, oh, okay, now they're moving. <laughs> Willie's the principal. I want to see Principal Willie. <laughs> I really do. Like, uh, any other notes about the heart, sorry? Oh, hell no. <laughs> I think I might have one. No. No. <laughs> no, no heart. But uh, ultimately, did it feel like an episode of The Simpsons? Were the characters behaving like themselves? Mm, Uh, I want to say no, Mm. but I kind of think they were. In the way that Mo is acting on point, Bart is acting on point, Principal Skinner in this awful kind of like saturated way that he's become is Mm. acting kind of on point. Smithers is right. Burns is absolutely correct. So, ish? I feel there's no single part that's committed enough to its bit to make me feel like it made a statement loud enough for me to know if it has integrity or not. Yeah. Mm. yeah that's that's mm. kind of my mood on it. Well, yeah, you're saying Skinner is sort of, yeah, you know, now this HD era version of him that, you know, we often complain the joke is too often that he's just meek and whipped by his mother. But yeah, having his mother trying to impose in this relationship, again, could have been an interesting story bit. Yeah. What happens when Agnes meets this woman? Yeah. 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 Something. Anyway, I keep getting into what I'd change about the episode in... Because there's so much to change. <laughs> but yes or no, would you watch it again? No. No. Neither. BT, what would you change? So many things. I think we've already said it, though. Like, just pick one of these plot lines and you can pretty much fill an entire episode with it. Or just have, like, any sense of logical flow to it. What kind of really bugs me is Skinner meets this woman, a teacher he would have employed, surely, who got moved to his school, not through, you know, meeting her and introducing her to the school or anything like that, but by chasing her up a hill and being like, oh, you signed these permission slips long, wrong, and that's the first time he meets her for some reason yeah. and instantly falls in love with her. It's not... You know, he meets someone who's so drastically different from any other woman he's ever dated or met that that's something appealing to him because that would make sense. Or even at play on the whole Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing where maybe she is a weird button-down type but she's so Skinner-esque that he finds that appealing in a Pixie Dream Girl kind of way. Mm. Or just the the whole, you know, Mo bit, have more conflict in that because it's not really clear what, does he even want to run for office? It's just that he can, I guess, but... And then do something else with Smithers, because I really like that launching point of Burns saying, Smithers, look, you've always just been my lackey. You've yeah. not made anything for yourself. Go out and do that, and then I'll respect you. That's a great starting point for a character that's been around for 22 years. Good, run with that, but they don't. So any of those things I just yelled about, take you know some of those sentences and re-raise them into critique. <laughs> How about you, Chris? What would you like to change? I think like Homer's phobia, most of the episodes that deal with kind of larger character moments or or big kind of themes tend to be just an A plot. They don't have large B plots or or significant B plots. This is an episode where it deserves that, where it just deserves to have a single A plot. You just take Waylon, you make him work with Mo, and you extend those scenes a lot further. Um, sure, you can have the moments where, you know, gay characters in the Springfield area kind of go off and there's a, a kind of like a domino effect of them changing other people's lives, but it's kind of montage Yeah. It's seen in to give greater stakes to the main thing of this new bar and Mo being, you know, changed or whatever. 
I just think give that more time, give that more emotional weight, have Mo and Smithers' working relationship be really positive and like maybe Smithers enjoys being a boss or, or mm. something or a partner rather yeah. than, you know, a lackey. I don't know. You can extend that and give it more emotional weight so that when Mo inevitably fucks up and makes a mistake, it has greater significance and greater weight and also means you can orientate the episode to have a greater point rather than it kind of flip-flopping around at the end, unsure about whether it's making fun of stereotypes or whether it's condemning stereotypes or all of that nonsense. Yeah, because, I mean, even to that, I think this is the first time we've ever really seen Smithers with any kind of power of his own, not that's from Burns or anything like that. And that's a really interesting way to follow as well, because, you know, he originally objects to Mo because he thinks it's exploitative, but then surely... He has, like, the flow of people having somewhere to go, and maybe he doesn't want to say anything because there's actually a benefit to the lie. and But then, there's you know, slowly that balance shifts. Yeah, he's part of a greater community And now. there's, like, something to be said about the responsibility of having power then, because, yeah, he's got power of his own now, but that also means that he's got to make these decisions. So you just follow more, more of Waylon, I think, in this one. Have one of the gay community members be like, oh, thank goodness this bar is yeah. here, otherwise I wouldn't have come out. Or something yeah. like that, like you know, like and then he's conflicted morally about whether he outs Mo as a pretender or not. Like, give it some stakes, not mm. just for Mo, but for Smithers as well to maintain that lie. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Like, because this is something that yeah, the Simpsons should absolutely be doing in this late stage of the game is mixing up the characters. And mm. yeah, when else would have we seen Mo and Smithers paired up? And you know, sometimes they make sense. Like the episode where Homer and Chief Wiggum become best friends. It's like. Why didn't they do that 20 years ago? Yeah. It makes so much sense. And this one, it's not quite as logical, but you're like, okay, I can see how these two characters can play off each other. And it's the one word we keep circling in this chat is the potential. And mm. yeah, I'm just going to hammer again. I really want to see Skinner have this woman challenge his, you know, straight lace kind of attitude. Yeah and turns him into being a bit looser and having Chalmers sort of notice this and like maybe some things with the school aren't running as well as they used to and then mm -hmm. Skinner just going fuck it I don't care I'm having way more fun then he goes on road trip with these people and sees that their carefree lifestyle is not for him for some reason and then you hope well, even, even the out of this plotline I didn't hate where before he runs away with her, she's all like, it could last years, it could be a few days, you know, because that's the way it is with you know, your, your erratic creative types. And it's like, okay, yeah. fair, that's not great, but at least it's realistic in the sense that, yeah, plenty of relationships do burn out fast. You know, brightest star burns quickest, and mm -hmm. this would probably be one of those relationships for Skinner. And also, I'm kind of interested in, okay, well, if they're going to use the setup of Lisa's music class, what if Lisa's just having to be a friend to this girl and she's just too much for her? Like, mm. even Lisa as a creative type is like, whoa, <laughs> you know? Anyway, potential, potential, potential. <laughs> Guest stars of the episode, Scott Thompson returns as Grady, who uh, was first introduced in the episode Three Gays of the Condo. Back in season 13, he makes a small appearance. Uh, oh, and musical moments. There's actually a couple of unintentional references to Futurama here. Oh, really? So the song Jennifer Juniper was by your old mate Donovan. Ah, there we go. <laughs> so this song is nice and pleasant. I didn't think much of the montages. I thought they were awful. <laughs> yeah. All of them. <laughs> well, yeah, because like, it's yeah, just mm. these acid fantasies of yeah. Skinner falling in love with this woman already. And because it happened in that second, I don't buy it. Yeah, and also the Mo montage. I don't know where I fall on this one. I like the sign closed for montage. 
it dragged on a little bit longer because that sign on, it alone is enough. Yeah, I wasn't a fan. <laughs> nah. I think uh, it's one of those things where the dumb reprise actually kind of brought me a bit more on side with it as well. Mm-hmm. Like the non-montage montage. I think, yeah. Uh, I see that. I get that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Follow your heart, Elliot. Yeah, but again, you know, it can be, yeah, conceptually clever, but also it was dumb and it took too long. But the other musical moment, the reference could be considered a reference to Futurama, is Skinner changing the lyrics to Walking on Sunshine. Yes, I did I did think that when uh, when he started singing that. I was like, oh, yeah, a little, little Walking on Sunshine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I tend to agree with Superintendent Chalmers when he says, uh, it's a perfectly good song. You don't need to change the lyrics. Mm. Oh, my God. It's Principal Skinner is Seymour. Fry oh that to Seymour, his dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Seymour was singing the whole time. We finally mm-hmm. figured it out how he was changing like... the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the other musical moment, there was a little bit of Vogue. <laughs> yeah, and don't forget, it yes. uh, starts off with a bit of Benny Goodman's Sing, Sing, Sing. Oh, yeah, of course. Anyway. Yeah, we're here. Chris, do you have any on notes? Look, I have some. Some. I quite enjoyed the opening, actually. The opening kind of weird fight that they had i was like oh what's this episode about yeah them fighting with their bizarro versions of themselves yeah Yeah. the night shift i kind of liked that i didn't like how it then transitioned into smithers telling burns that it's happening and them kind of dismissing it in the kind of like you know modern day era simpsons where nothing has any stakes yes but i did like it as a kind of shout out in the beginning you know as a moment i enjoyed it same, and I like that because they just think they're better than us because their performance reviews reflect that fact. Yeah. <laughs> I also like the art style of being able to you take the Simpsons characters, kind of subvert them and tweak them a little bit to kind of be bizarro characters. I, I quite like that. I must admit, I'm missing the music. Now that you guys have mentioned it on previous episodes, whenever I watch any of the Simpsons and it is one of these HD eras, I'm like, where's the music? Where's the themes mm-hmm. when it goes to an ad break? What's going on? It just kind of lifeless scenes. And this one actually had a bit more music than we're used to, and it still felt a bit absent. Yep. And uh, the milk moment at the end, where Mo is dressed as uh, Milk, uh, the you <laughs> Mr. Know, milk. politician. Yes, Mr. Harvey. Milk. Harvey Milk to his Harvey friends. Milk. He was in that uh, Blur uh, music video clip, wasn't he? Coffee and TV. Oh, was he? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I didn't no, get the no. man. Oh, right. No, I do know what I do <laughs> ah, now. Okay. Know what you mean? Because it's a little milk carton that walks yes. down the street, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was like. A what? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very dumb niche joke, but um, I haven't seen Milk. You guys have? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very good. Yeah, I've never been good. I recommend it. So what was the parody sort of doing here? Like, because, yeah, I didn't pick up on uh, Running as an costume. openly gay man and the costume pretty much. Yeah, that's it. It's nothing other than a costume nod and a kind of like sort of circumstance nod. I think mm. a few lines of dialogue are lifted as well. Oh, okay. And twisted, but, uh, you know, mm. I guess it's okay of them to do a bit of research. And by research, I mean maybe watching a film that was around at the time. Pretty sure they just watched a trailer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How about you, BT? Any other notes? I've got a lot, because despite all the things I said, I have more things to say. (laughs) Um, I like that Burns' will includes Gary's trapdoor installation and repair. Yes. (laughs) Mm It has a lot of trapdoors. Um, and when Smithers has like the th- classic Simpsons three floating heads going around, like one mm. is just kill the other two heads before <laughs> they suspect anything. Oh, damn. I did like that joke too. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Like I said, there are parts in this I quite liked, which really sucks that the rest of it sucks. Um, I like when Moe's got the portraits of the various things his bar has been over the years. And he's like, mm. yeah, that didn't work. Utter failure. That was a dream I had painted. Yeah. Because they make reference to when him and Marge had the British pub yep. and when he rebranded as M. Just M. Yeah. Uh, a bit of a... 
Jordan's Anal Corner. Welcome to Jordan's Anal Corner. Oh, nice. Uh, once again, we have just in the music room, none of the staves are like consistent in how many beats per bar. It's really yeah. annoying, <laughs> uh, which is in the introduction as well. But you do kind of forgive the introduction, but no, not the main episode. Come on. Uh, a bit we both laughed at was Ralph's drum roll. Yes. Where Ralph is in a ra- drum that's rolling. It's like, okay, fair enough. Well done, episode. <laughs> uh, followed immediately by a part I hated, which is like, oh, I'm not comic book guy. I'm comic book gay. It's like, fuck. Yeah. So lazy. Yeah. <laughs> the worst. The absolute fucking worst. Mm-hmm. There was a line of Moe's I kind of liked, which was when he's like, ah, but if I lose this place, I'll have to move in with my ma, which is a problem because she's dead and has no house. It's like, oh, I kind of get that. That's kind of funny. But I also hate you right now, the episode, so I can't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> like you said before, the whole Vogue thing. And I'm like, I literally said out loud to you, I had time to say, well, this bit is, thank God this bit's going on as long as it is. Yeah. And same with the uh, whole Skinner love montage. I was like, thank God this is going on long <laughs> enough for me to hate it. Uh, you mentioned before there was a lemon party reference. I do not appreciate that. Nope. Nope. Um, and again, another bit that got a good solid laugh, it just went too long, was when the pretzels were painted on the bar, but in that kind of isometric way where it looks 3D. And yes. I was just scratching at it. Love that bit. Hated when he cut a piece out and then tore it out and ate that. But then kind of like when they saved it when he goes to the first aid kit, but it's also painted on. Like, uh, But overall, it, it just dragged. Yeah, but you, you're still left wondering how much better the joke would have been if they just left it at home and scratching at the bar. Yeah, leave it at one. I would have had a much better time. Uh, my final note is I do like when Manic Pitchy Dream Girl is leaving. She's like, think of me every time you see a tattoo you don't understand. <laughs> Quite like that line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a decent exit line. Yeah. And uh, now it's time for my final notes. Now it's time and now it's time for his final notes. Elliot's final notes. I was actually thinking of changing this section up a bit, BT. because <gasps> what? Well, because often like when it gets this time, like I've only ever got like two or three notes left over yeah and i'm like well it's really everyone's final notes section isn't it can we change the lyrics to for everyone's final notes i mean elliot is two syllables three three shut up (laughs) and everyone is also three so i don't know where i'm going with this but i don't like change change, is scary change is um... scary (laughs) i feel unsafe (laughs) tell you what we'll look at it yeah. <laughs> Everyone's final notes. <laughs> Everyone doesn't flow as well, despite the fact the syllable count is the same. Mm. Now it's time, and now it's time for everyone's final notes. See, doesn't it's the <laughs> why you need to do an airy, like yeah. a, you yeah. would do in a, in a hymn or a homily. <laughs> Good hymn words like airy one and oa. There you are. You know, I think <laughs> there you are. <laughs> there you are. Um, well, I mean, new phrasing, new entire theme song. It could be a ch- brave new chapter for this podcast. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, anyway, time for my final notes. Um, super hairy Wonder Woman. Yeah, just I've done it. I don't know what to make of that at all. No, that's the second piece of media where I've seen that trope as mm. a gay man, where you see a hairy man dressed as Wonder Woman. And it's like, oh, he's gay. And I'm like, in what? When? Yeah. Are you a straight person writing gay characters? Because that's what it seems like. What do you think a gay person is? Yeah. Oh, uh, and just on that, uh, um, like the trans jokes in this episode were mm. horrible as well, where they thought yeah. Marge was. Uh, anyway, like I, it's this shit that I don't even want to mention just because mm. it's so bad, but I feel like I have to because uh, it'll all factor in with scoring this episode later. Indeed. Yeah, Chalmers being involved in that scene where they introduce the new teacher to the music class is so dumb because, yeah, the joke of him dating one of the kids' moms, whatever, 
but this is the moment where you have Principal Skinner. There is a place where they can naturally meet rather than just fucking outside and have yep. Skinner calling up a cliff. Yep. <laughs> I have a note here. Why the Nacho Kano? Oh, that's why. Yeah, it's yeah. a sex metaphor. Mm. Yep, that's it. That's all it's for. Yeah, then Skinner like getting a little broy with Chalmers as well. You need some honey in your yogurt. And then Chalmers is immediately like, oh, you're smooth. Yeah, I mean, I like the, the idea that Chalmers actually kind of likes Skinner at this with this attitude, with his laid back, mm. you know, I got laid last night attitude. It just does feel a little off character for both of them, but I almost liked it. Again, it's just, this episode had potential. There are some parts everywhere where you can go, that can be a thing. But I think it was just more, I would have enjoyed that part if I was having a better time at that point. But by this time, I'm like, I've completely given up on this entire plot line, if not entire episode. So, yeah. It's time to rank this thing. On the Simpsons Index, we rank using our six-point scale, which starts down the bottom at failure. Maybe if the episode was just... You get a participant, but for the positive rankings, you got OK Bronze, Good Silver, Excellent Gold, but for the best, of the very best, the episodes which the Simpsons could not exist without, you, you give Cubic Zirconia. Uh, sometimes I join you on saying failure. I wanted to join you on saying uh, Cubic Zirconia. We weren't quite harmonizing, no. so it's... Take it again, lads. <laughs> cubic Galzomia on three. One, yeah. two, three. You give cubic zirconia. I'm, I'm, I think I'm flat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you give cubic zirconia. I'm going to go first. Let me show you how it's done. When you break up the script, I'm surprised how like badly I forget it. Um, anyway, uh, I'm going first. I'm showing you how it's done. Um, I'm going with Participant. I very could have easily failed it, and I probably should, mm. but this is one of the weird ones where uh, I, I've, there's some bits I kind of like, and there's certainly a handful of jokes I like, but yeah, some objectionable, offensive material, but yeah, ultimately this is a bit of a wash, BT. I came in on a failure, and I'm just, I'm losing grip on that, mostly because I'm just kind of forgetting the episode overall. I think my biggest problem is, even if you don't find the material you know, offensive or problematic. It's just so lazy and bland and boring. These are the same kind of, like, queer jokes they've been telling for decades with no variation or change whatsoever. And even if you don't dislike them, they're just boring. So, and I'm going to go with what my mentor, the Emperor, says and give in to my hatred. I'm going to fail. Hey, there we go. Hey. And Chris, finish it off. I was straddling all the way th from failure all the way up to bronze, mm. and... I'm going to sit in participant mainly because it isn't good enough or even close to being good. Its failures are so big that any any polish or any positives that you could pull from it are outweighed immediately. Mm. I think there's enough in there that if you cut it all up, it would be a participant. So I'm going to stick with participant. Yeah. And averaging out, this will be a dull participant. It's the first episode from season 22 to be called a dull participant. Oh, what are they averaging? What are what? What's season 22 kind of getting then, if it's not getting dull participants? Oh, well, season 22 is our second best HD era season. Gasp. Out of mm. all the seasons averaged out and ranked, season 22 is our 17th best season, mm. which, yeah, it's doing a lot better than a some teens era seasons as well, which, yeah. <laughs> just nice. pre pretend like you didn't just drop your phone. <laughs> Chris didn't see it. I want him to still think I'm cool and I don't do dumb things like drop phones. No, he's, who would he, do that? He's met you, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, all right, well, that almost does it with our HD era episode, but we first must ask if that reputation is justified. If that reputation justified. You're just huh. changing everything tonight, aren't you? 
fucking it all up. <laughs> Rowan Kaiser of the AV Club. Kaiser! He gave this episode a B plus. This is like what? a bronzy, silvery rankings. Mm. This was a very good episode of The Simpsons. He's wrong. The guest stars added instead of subtracting. He's wrong. No. It had a gently satirical inverse of gay panic jokes. Nope. No. Nope. And was pretty damn funny. No. It's another strong Simpsons episode in a surprisingly strong season. Incorrect. Yep. Failure. I agree with the surprisingly strong season. Mm. Okay, Man, yes. Yeah, just like history tells us, you can't trust the Kaiser. <laughs> yep. Row, row, row when Kaiser is wrong in his opinions. <laughs> A regular weird L. Yankovic. All right, now let's move on to the Teens Era episode where we're watching Midnight Rx. BT, do you have any idea what this episode is about? Uh, it's about uh, T-Rex you can only see at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Am I wrong? I don't. It seemed reasonable to me. Challenge that more. Am I wrong? Am I? Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> Look me in the eye and tell me I'm wrong. I'm wondering, did you fall asleep last night watching both Jurassic Park and Gremlins at the same time? <laughs> I wish. That sounds amazing. <laughs> All right. We're going to go watch that and we'll be back. Let's write that script. And we are back and we just watched our Teens Era episode. This was Season 16, Episode 6, Midnight RX. First released in January of Ought 5, it was directed by Nancy Cruz, written by Mark Wilmore. In this episode, Mr. Burns cancels the prescription drug program for his employees at the power plant and Homer and Grandpa get into smuggling medication from Canada. Hey guys, what'd you think? Am I on drugs? Sorry. <laughs> Only you can answer that question. I wish I, I mean, did someone slip me something? Is there something in that boss iced coffee? I don't know. But... Look, just go ask Alice when she's 10 feet tall. I did. She didn't tell me. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. That was my just thought on this one because it just ricochets so much from one thing to the next. And then it's just ah, so many things. It's, it's so much happens and yet so little happens. And then just what? It's over. Okay. Yeah. This has the speed of a freight train honestly this just ricochets all over the place it's it's really it's not disconnected i wouldn't say it's disconnected but it no. is certainly fast I, I just don't know what to make of this one honestly yeah. like, um, like like seriously like okay get a bunch of ping pong balls paint the faces of simpsons characters on them then put them in the dryer that's what this episode is like just yeah. watching that going <laughs> bounce around like crazy and you know there were some attempts to tie the complete fuck you intro mm. into the ending but it just fails to come together at all it's just incoherent nonsense yeah but like almost coherent like 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 someone on drugs when you're talking to them and they're just like you're, you're so much close to being brilliant but you're also what <laughs> yeah it could have been an episode penned by doug forsyth i don't know who that is the good place. Okay. The one who like got the theory as right, close as possible. Right, yeah. Right. The older version played by Michael McKeon. Now you're speaking my Jeremy Baramies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hook into this thing and try to make sense of it. We'll start with you this time, Chris. For better or worse, what's something stands out to you from this episode? Um, it's hard to say. <laughs> uh... I know, no. that's why I'm not going first. <laughs> I think uh, uh, you know what? I'm going to have a coward's way out. That's the thing that stands out to me. It's the speed of this episode as a whole is what's standing yeah. out to me. In the frequency of its jokes and it's just comedy forced and everything is just happening, good jokes, bad jokes, everything just keeps happening, happening, happening. There is absolutely no time to rest or analyze or like think about 
punchlines or moments. It's just, it's so fucking fast. In my notebook thing that I have, there are sentences half complete where I just haven't had a chance to think <laughs> and stop and go, okay, now I need to finish that thought. I'm just halfway through onto the next thing, onto the next thing, onto the next thing. Like repeated unfinished notes, like halfway through a few of them. It's not where I've just abandoned one and gone to the funnier one. Just this episode, talking about this episode makes me feel frantic, which is not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I really need some Xanax after that one as well. Yeah. Like, it's so anxiety inducing. <laughs> Oh, fuck. Uh, what What about you, BT? What stands out? All the music cues, which just... So many. Yeah, Dr. Hibbert doing a bit of Baby Got Back because he's been paid off by pharmaceutical companies. The whole, like, they complain to the drug company and they're like, what's this video about the Amazon? No, it's actually Huey Lewis in the news performing one a new drug. Like, okay. And then White Rabbit, as you alluded to earlier, which is just in there. Oh, and uh, this sucks because, like, I think they were almost onto a good thing with, like... Yeah, the whole trippy montage cliche, but it's filled with all the directions, like yeah, yeah. the same sensible directions of medication. Yeah, doing like the trippy montage bit, but it all being sensible. Yeah. Because it's all prescription. But again, it takes too long and it just sort of, animation-wise, there's not that much going on in this section. It actually kind of looked dull for a trippy <laughs> yeah, montage. Yeah, it was really, like, ordinarily I really like that traditional Simpsons bit where a character's walking through darkness and the neon signs of whatever the joke is are floating past. This just, they were drifting past really slowly, and yeah. so you had more than enough time to read them four times each and you're like i like your concept but just the execution not there it was also very flat like uh mm. in the episode you can see the the camera angle where uh, ned and his canadian neighborino uh, are talking and there's that weird twist camera angle in so they can do dynamic stuff with framing but like the jumping up and down into the the drug field thing is just the images were just kind of floating by on a flat plane they weren't coming out yeah. or coming towards like in the the neon montages that Yeah there was no dynamic yeah. to the shit and it was just mm. flat and boring and it told its joke in a quarter of the time that it actually ran I think yeah bring up a good point about yeah the Ned and the Canada Ned can Canada ha huh, I got there um <laughs> They're, yeah, doing those, like, Dutch angles, like, while they're dollying in on them and visually meant to represent how insane his fucking speech patterns are. But, again, it's just such a boring scene to just watch play out. Mm. And, ugh. And it goes on and on. It goes mm. on. Yeah, fucking hell. Uh, what stands out to me, much like you, Chris, I'm just going to make a general point. You have American healthcare as your mm. premise, and this is what you fucking deliver. Like, the potential of this episode to say something meaningful, it's just so ripe and that they do nothing with it. And, like, because they try to, like, smooth over it at the end and try and make yeah. it, like, Mr. Burns reinstates drugs and, you know, everyone lived happily after after. And I honestly think this is one of those times where Simpsons needs to do, like, a bittersweet ending that truly reflects the horrific state of the medical system in the United States. I think they were going for that with Homer becoming freelance. Yes. But I don't... Not enough time is spent for it. You know, like, I get that it's a quip, but I don't know. American workers losing their healthcare deserves more than a quip, maybe? You know, they dedicated a, a entire episode to unions and health dental care earlier, so uh, maybe, maybe the same treatment? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And, you know, people having to smuggle drugs from um, overseas is... Like, it's such a thing there. They have such mm. a deep well to draw from. And just to gloss over a really offensive joke in this episode, that they try and introduce 
Apu and Ned as uh, like you know the smuggle team or something, and I'm like, okay, you know, this is an interesting bit, bit grouping. Of a dynamic group heist. I'm on board for that. But then, yeah, Ned and Apu's whole fucking fighting kids in the backseat thing over religion, and then the extremely contrived way of mm. getting Apu to look. Uh, to Middle have Eastern. a yeah, to have a turban and um, go la la la. It's offensive. Well, and yeah. that wasn't even a thing. Yeah, like as the Canadian stop him at the border and go, ah, he's expressing his religion. It's like, wait, so that's not a problem. I was surprised at how fucking offensive that was. Yeah, like, and just I, so unnecessarily as well. Like, yeah, it was so bad, and it's like mm. I don't know, so poorly set up. I'll wrap a, t- a wet towel around your head to cool you off. Like- to cool your mouth, because you drank coffee that was too hot. <sighs> like, the whole... And then, even then, why did they need to have that? To be stopped briefly by Border, and Homer opens the door and all the pills fall out. There are a thousand ways you can have them exposed as pill smugglers. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like a Canadian thing, anyway, mm. to go, uh, race a stereotype, they're definitely a terrorist or something like that. Like... Again, so I'm talking about stereotypes. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. That felt like more of an American thing to freak out about that rather I don't know. Particularly when they're entering into the American border and they've already gone with the whole... Like in a previous scene, when they did the previous smuggle, it's the American border patrol that stops them and is like, hey, are you smuggling anything in? The Canadians seem chill about it. In terms of the episode and in terms of the episode's logic... They seem chill with the whole thing. Yeah. Well, even when they get caught, they're just like, okay, you just have to, we'll keep the drugs and you just have to go home and never come back. It's like, oh, wow, thanks for no consequences. Bye. Oh, it's, oh, this is such a poorly plotted episode. Mm-hmm. Play Count, have you seen this one before today? Maybe. I feel like I've seen parts, maybe. But uh, again, I might be on drugs. You can't take <laughs> anything I say seriously. <laughs> I, I'm in the same boat. I think I might have seen this before, but clearly it hasn't stuck with me yeah uh i I maybe saw it twice before i fucking hate that like that a poo bit sticks out of my brain but literally nothing else does yeah and it's absolutely one of those ones where i'm like the sketch show intro with the airplane Mm. museum like what does this lead to oh yeah that out of fucking nowhere and yeah i just hate season 16 so much this is right around the time that they're in the thick of production on the movie right and similarly on the spreadsheet we see a massive downtick in quality in the episodes during this period well i will say the opening few seconds uh, minutes of this one pretty good like yeah. there's some solid jokes in there there's like uh when mr burns has bumped into homer he's like ah oh, and this must be spouse and these must be children yeah have some uh, ginger root <laughs> yeah i know and then mo who is like wearing his funeral suit so it doesn't have a back mm. it's like it's dumb but i got a laugh out of it and um oh yeah the whole bit where they're watching the video it's like since the dawn of flight there have been mu- museums that have shown people the dawn of flight mm. i quite like that i yeah. like that a lot i thought that They've, was very yeah, good yeah and it went on enough, and there was like, and they presented materials about the history of flight, and this is the story of those materials, and people and the, are tearing the, up, and it's yeah, beautiful. the man tearing up and gesturing for others to come see this thing as if it's really significant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, leading into the wackiness of this episode, you know, the, this first act, yeah, had a handful of good jokes as well, but. It was such a sketch show. Oh, yeah. It's just someone in the writing staff went to an airplane museum recently and just had a fuckload of material from it. And, like, yeah, there were some jokes that really didn't land for me, like the Cletus feeling up the rope. Ooh. Yeah, that was confusing. They're like, we drove 18 hours to be here. And it's like, you live in this city. Yeah. 
I'm yeah. confused. And then even with the Windwalkers, and they said Agnes was one. I'm like, this is an interesting character development. It's like, what's going to happen with this? Nothing. Wow. Yeah. Like, she doesn't even say anything. No. <laughs> it doesn't even look like Agnes in the old footage. No, it doesn't. It absolutely does not. <laughs> and, yeah, the final bit that I hated was, yeah, Mr. Burns and Smithers doing a slight E.T. parody as they're exiting the thing, and then yeah. Mr. Burns is... Oh, do you think Mike and Carol are to get together? Mike's Mike, married. Oh, muscle it. Carol, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. That just... final sting of it made me hate it. Yeah. When yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, he's married. I'm just like, shut up. Just just end it. It's fine. Just end the scene. Because I kind of like the idea of Mr. Burns being like a bit of an office gossip. That's kind of funny. But the rest of it, yeah, dumb. And it comes into this point in the episode where it's so crammed in with people going i don't know about this this seems unusual Mm. and i'm like yeah first it seems unusual because an employee party at a airplane museum why again i think one of the writers just went to museum and guys guys what's the deal with airline museums yeah (laughs) and i guess that was the whole opening bit and yeah the fact that it's undermined by everyone going oh what's going on undermined a joke i did kind of like which was when lisa's like oh that must have been the nasty surprise it was on the invitation yeah i actually thought they were gonna they were gonna flip reverse it with the amount of lampshading that they're going like hey mr burns is evil he's gonna do an Mm. evil thing i was i genuinely was expecting him to be like here's something nice and yeah, I thought yeah. it might be an episode about him and why he's doing this nice thing. Yeah, rather or than this it... is a nice thing that develops into something evil later or builds to it or something. Yeah, like. exactly. Right, because otherwise I was just like, wow, this is really on the nose. Is this a punchline? Nope. Yeah. Oh, it's so crammed in. But yeah, what about the wackiness of the, the drug smuggling storyline? How did you guys think uh, that played out? Just the drug smuggling storyline or the entire episode? Because instead of usually on my notes, I've got a little W with a circle around it for things I thought was wacky. This entire page just has a W on it. <laughs> I think it was so frenetic that it can't help but feel a little wacky. Like even stuff that isn't normally of that style feels absurd because of it, because of the speed of it. Yeah, any anything that could have been maybe palmed off as less wacky, more just, you know, hilarious hijinks, because it was so quick, it was like, okay, the wickety whack. Can I just mm. throw to my first real moment of what the fuck wackiness when Homer's like, oh, maybe I can get a job while being on Friends. I'm like, Dad, that show got cancelled years ago. He's like, what? Oh, but I had the perfect character. I was going to be Ross's Irish cousin. Yeah. Oh, so you're all doing each other, are you? Well, who's going to put out for Seamus? I just went, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who sat and went, you know what? I'm going to make Homer Simpson do an Irish accent about yeah. a TV show that was cancelled. Yeah, someone sat back from the typewriter and was like, Savage Burn Me, nicely done. Yeah, like what? Who wrote that? Yeah, but they were ripe for parody, friends. (laughs) (laughs) Take that. (laughs) Another, like, this isn't like super wacky, it's just weird. It's the old people with the jackets. Now, these guys Mm. are recurring characters from, I think it's Old Man in the Key, where they challenged Grandpa to a Grease-style race in the drain tunnel thingy and they can't have him come back to do this haha <laughs> look the d is for the both dumbo and the drop F- what yeah <laughs> so strange the souvenir jacket game. i thought a really good wacky moment was when grandpa busts through the door i mean it's an mm-hmm. old joke oh thank god it, this is the right house the four yeah. others previous i mean it's an old one but because of the pace of it it feels better in the moment because of it yeah Unfortunately, we only just recently saw where they do it in the canine mutiny where police chief Wiggum's busting down the door and he mm. goes, oh, please, if this isn't the right house. I- oh, <laughs> damn it. 
yeah, so this one sort of felt a little forced to me, but... Yeah, now yeah. that we mentioned it, Wiggum's got some good ones. I love the one where he kicks the door down and then rings the bo- doorbell. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is uh, the Laddie episode. Yeah, canine mutiny. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he doesn't have a good one in this one where he's like, you made a police chief go, huh? Yeah, we've done that before with... Uh, it's a 2319, waking a police officer. Yeah. Mm. And him smacking the loo in the head with the book. Like, yeah. Again. Well, I mean, we could go on forever about the wackiness, and we probably would, but uh, let's just breeze past this breezer passable question. Don't even ask it. The heart. Don't even ask. Any heart. Any heart. I need medication for it. Sorry. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I got no heart over here. No heart over there. Anyone over there? No one heart. One heart at all. One heart and no heart. (laughs) Like, they even sort of almost try for it as well with, like, yeah, Mr. Burns. It's, his policy is now affecting the ones closest to him. and But it ends with, like, a Snow White parody or Sleeping Beauty or whichever one that is. Mm. And it's like, Smithers is dead. He's not been able to breathe for, like, two days. Oh, and also so contrived with the CPR only bringing him back to life. And then, yeah, of course, because Burns is kissing him, he wakes up. Mm. Yep. Yeah, it sucks because prescription drugs, I think, is, is an easy heart storyline, especially... Mm. That affects so many people, and so many people rely on them for various things, and especially the old folks, where the nursing home is basically just like, eh, whoever survives the night will take care of those. Bye. Mm. There's so much more comment to be made about them, and like how people, yeah, need these medications, and you know, corporations and whatever looking at the bottom line and not taking care of their workers and shit. And there's just so much goddamn opportunity, especially when you involve the whole family. I think it's a really good attempt of this episode to have Homer and Grandpa team up on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what happened didn't work, though. <laughs> but ultimately, did it feel like an episode of The Simpsons? Again, if you painted the characters' faces on ping pong balls and put them in a dryer <laughs> and turned it on and then threw that dryer off a cliff, then yes. Mm. But that's not what The Simpsons is, usually. It feels like if the one we've just watched previously from that era had sped up. It, yeah. It's as if The Simpsons are on two different planes here where it's too slow in one instance with no musical stings, it seems kind of lifeless, it's stilted framing, blah, 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 blah. And in this, it's hyped up to the max. There's jokes that don't pay off or mm. uh, are poorly written or there's really good ones hidden amongst a load of trash. Like, I don't know, yes, in a ADD fueled world. Yeah. Yeah, it's like when you go on YouTube and you play a uh, clip in like 1.5 speed. Yes. <laughs> or overlay them on each other. Mm. <laughs> And then take a bunch of drugs. Yeah. yeah. It's like when you hear about people who listen to audiobooks at like two speed. Like, no, no, what? No. Oh my God. Yeah. What? Is that something people do? People do, yeah. I know people yeah. listen to podcasts, but wow. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it, I, people listen to podcasts generally, but yeah. <laughs> I'm not a man for that. But yeah, even doing one and a half speed does my brain in. Mm. But there is a fun thing where if you play a pod, any podcast at half speed, the host will sound drunk. It's really good. <laughs> I mean, skip the middle, man. Just get drunk. Yes. <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, feeling like an episode of The Simpsons. You bring up a good point, Chris, with the whole ADD nature of this episode is like, it's funny because the teens era like really cut down on episode length to fit in more commercials. And mm. like some episodes were only clocking at 19 minutes and you wouldn't think, yeah, three minutes would make all that much difference, oh, but it yeah. fucking does. Yeah, that's heaps of time to lose. Three minutes. Yeah. Jeez. It's more than 10% of a, a viewing Right. Yeah, I was going to say, you got to think of it in terms of percentage, not time clock. Yeah, yeah, true. But yeah, the HD era like got back to that as, you know, commercial television sort of got less important with streaming and whatever, and mm-hmm. The Simpsons were able to go back to doing 22-minute shows. But yeah, a lot of these teens era ones, I agree, yeah, just feel so 
fucking rushed and frenetic, but yes or no? Would you watch it again? No. No. Wait, I might watch it again on like 75, like 0.75 speed. Oh, yeah. Just to see if it's like a completely different episode. Like when you watch Train Spotting with the captions on. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I actually get this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done that. Do they? Is it like the book where they write it like Scottish phonetically? I don't remember. I remember I'd seen the movie. I thought I got it. And then one time Danny and I just popped on the closed captions like, this is a completely different movie. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was a romantic comedy. Oh, no. There are drugs in this? What? <laughs> Next you'll be telling me Requiem for a Dream isn't Isn't family... an uplifting family flick. <laughs> Fun for the whole family. What are Fs in that sentence? What's going on with me? Am I on drugs? Possibly. Cool. What would you change? I'd just slow it down to 0.75 speed. <laughs> Man, I don't even know. It's one of those ones that's so hard to get a hold of anything in particular. I don't even know what about this isn't functioning properly. Just slow the fuck down, for starters, and just focus on something. Or if you're going to do this whole prescription drug thing, make it the family gets brought together by the fact of what they don't have anymore. Mm. Or something. Jeez, I don't even know. How about you, Chris? I think the the target is the wrong the wrong kind of thing, right? Like... I mean, the comedy aside, which I think is like a symptom of maybe a bunch of writers punching up comedy and and it not being at the same level as maybe like 10 years before in The Simpsons, where, you know, you had some great comics who could punch up, great writers who could punch up a script. I think this is probably the target is the wrong thing. Like, okay, so they're smuggling drugs from Canada, sure, but also like The Simpsons is best when it's punching up and Mm. against the establishment or against kind of like an authority figure not hightailing it to Canada and then bringing drugs back. The target is the drug corporations. You, and you have it a couple of times with Dr. Hibber and and the guy who, um, mm. you know, they sneak in and, and have a meeting with him. Yeah. You've got the opportunity there and there's almost like a writer's impulse to have to include those things. That's the actual target right there, guys. Like, that's the thing that you should be narratively focused around, not Homer's smuggling things back in and out because it doesn't resolve at the end and it doesn't no. mean anything. Well, it only just clocked me in terms of like being the wrong target and not making any sense. Mr. Burns can afford the drugs to save Smithers' life. He can just go out and buy them. Yeah. So yes, yes. He doesn't even... Why is he even part of this final bit of the episode? Because he doesn't have the problem. Yeah. It only just clocked me because of how quickly this thing ran through my brain. I mean, I, I think, BT, you, you said it right. Like, it's conflating the problem with the solution that they've kind of mm. come up for it, right? It's like, it's not about getting drugs from Canada. It's about the cost of drugs generally. So, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Well, I think that they have Hibbert only there for, you know, a joke is so disappointing because we've mostly seen Hibbert in the course of The Simpsons as, you know, the caring, friendly family doctor. Mm. But then we've also seen him sit at the table of the Republican headquarters. He's so got a sinister is- side, I suppose. Yeah. The- oh, there is this total capitalist side to mm-hmm. Dr. Hibbert that they haven't really explored. Yeah, they've done another bit where, you know, he says, oh, do you have insurance? And the tube begins to lower down <laughs> over Marge. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm really interested in his involvement with the story mm. because, yeah, of course, he's getting all these kickbacks and then, you know, he needs to be a doctor and Hippocratic Oath and all that. I think yeah. it's such a shame they sidelining him in this episode because I feel like the story is meant to be Mr. Burns realising or having a change of heart or whatever, mm. but it's just undercut at every single moment and and I don't necessarily believe that the episode should have a and Mr. Burns' heart grew three sizes that day Yeah, moment, but... Okay, new pitch. Hard turn. 
Uh, was it Rod or Todd that was insulin dependent? Rod, I think. Rod. Okay, so he dies, and they leave his corpse <laughs> on Mister on um the Mister Burns's front steps, yeah. and uh, just be like, "Look what you've wrought! Look what you've done! This man is dead because of you." Jesus. And uh, then he, you know, and I don't know the rest of it. I just want that shock value. I yeah. am one hundred percent behind this. Holy shit! Yes, make it. <laughs> It's, it's powerful stuff. It comes largely from, you know, all those uh, kids protesting uh, gun violence who said, when I die, I lay my corpse at the steps of the CDC. And it's like, I kind of want to make a short film about that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> if someone's listening who can draw, can you please draw that? That would be fantastic. Because I can't draw for shit, but... <laughs> Rod just dead on the front steps of Mr. Burns' mansion. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I definitely wouldn't ding it for bravery if it did that, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, you want to, you want to make a stand, you make a goddamn stand. <laughs> All right, we're here. Chris, do you have any other notes about this episode? Yeah, I had a few things that kind of stood out to me. Um some funny lines. A rain makes makes it catch fire when um, yeah. Mr. Burns is talking about his uh his plane, plywood uh, pelican. Yeah, I did yes. enjoy a riff that. on spruce moose. And the ah. uh, yes, yes, exactly. And also the Führer. No, I thought it was a nice little nod. Yep, Kaiser last episode, Fuhrer this one. And the last one, my favourite one, was the natives had a word for it. We killed them, and no mm. one knows what the word is in the uh, the music pack- uh, the video package, which turned into I Need a New Drug. Huey Lewis in the news. Again, another weird montage in this bit when like there weren't actually any real jokes. Mm. How about you, BT? Any other notes? Oh, of course I do. Homer sands off his fingerprints. Yeah. What the fuck? That was the thing I watched. Weird. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, But my gloves are upstairs. Yeah. Uh, Sign gag I like, which was Dudley Do Drugs. Mm. I enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. Sign writers on point, as always. Uh, Maybe you can help me out with this note. Just says, Abe, mine flew away. Mine flew away. Nah. Oh, the the fly, the drug, the pill. Uh, <laughs> right. I do like, yeah, when they've all, instead of giving them pills, he's got a fly, someone's got uh, yeah. like, something else, wacky, I can't remember. And final note is going to be a joke I really liked, which was, um, you know, Homer's got a beer and Chief Wiggum's like, hey, no drinking in public. He puts it in a brown paper bag. Oh, where'd it go? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's his version of peekaboo. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. No, it's so good. Yeah. Um. All right. And my final notes. I uh, hated the Burns mascot thing at the start of the episode. Yeah, that just took way that too was long. That weird and as hell as well. Why is this here? Like mm. at the Air and Space Museum or whatever. Krusty's bipolar joke was just, yeah, again, again. offensive and a I stupid, harmful went reduction. on and on and on. Yeah. Although, fuck me, I really did like Ralph's line of, I'm cuckoo for contraband. <laughs> I mean, I will. <laughs> it was just in the delivery, you yep. know? It was mm. so cute. I'm good Ralph lately. Yeah, and Homer gets home to a tiki party for no reason. That was weird as well. That was We're very so proud strange. Of you. We have a luau. Yeah. Why a tiki party? Why Hawaii? I don't know. And it's so like, many okay, fine, but what joke is this going to lead to? And None. Homer pulling balloons of drugs out of his stomach. Mm. Just why did this? Any of this need to be here for this two seconds of scene? Although I got to admit, I did kind of like him uh, pulling out the balloon of the sandwich. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. But I, ju- yeah. I just like sandwiches. Mm. And I like tiki parties. I should have liked yeah. this scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to rank this thing. BT, your turn to go first. I'm going to just solid participant because I really felt nothing in any direction on this one. It all just, I mean, you could easily call it a failure just for how little there, there is to grab onto on this one. But just, I have no feeling for it. It just fell straight through my brain. So I'm already running out of things to say about it. Chris. 
I'm going to give it a participation only because there are some great moments, but the glaring one that really stands out to me and that I w- will remember this episode for is the uh, wet towel and the scalding yeah. coffee. And I'm like, fuck, that's bad. Yeah. Fuck, that's awful. I even think the writers probably maybe even chickened out by having a sh- uh, US people arrest him and having making it uh, Canadians, you know, so that they yeah. wouldn't feel uh, morally reprehensible by having their own country written into it. So, um, yeah, fuck that noise. Yeah, I'm giving it a failure, actually, and it's one where I'm actually kind of glad that, you know, we had the other episode to compare to, was, you know, I liked a couple of things the other episode did, and it was Mm. showing potential, whereas this one, the premise was the only thing that had potential. Everything that they built around doing a show about prescription drugs, I think, failed. And when, you know, this is such an important social issue, I think, yeah, to do an episode of this caliber, of this quality, is just, like, you wouldn't do it. It's just, this isn't worth the production. It's not worth the subject matter it's it fails it and averaging out another dull participant but Hmm. this will be the fourth episode from season 16 to be a dull participant it'll be joining mobile homer where homer gets an rv and it's not that season one episode where homer gets an rv also don't fear the roofer where Mm -hmm. ray romano is homer's an imaginary friend or and thank god it's doomsday where homer thinks there's a doomsday coming in Uh. the apocalypse and he becomes one of those sandwich board people is that the one where he doesn't think it happens? It happens. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's is that the one where he gets in numerology? Where it becomes yes. really yeah, 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 I, yeah. I remember that one. That's a fucking bad episode. It is because again, the world ends. Yeah, <laughs> and Homer is the only one who survives. Yeah, or not survives, gets raptured, and you get to see you know his whole family in hell. Season sixteen is fucking wild. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just fucking. Yeah. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> And uh, before we move on, I gotta say, this was the Simpsons Index 500th review. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Big numbers. Yeah, it just yeah, I was doing the numbers the other day. I was holy shit! I'm glad I caught that. I would have just completely yeah. breezed by that. Uh, oh, oh well, look, I just there's a big balloon. Well, a small balloon, a novelty <laughs> balloon with the word 500 written on it. Just descended <laughs> descended from uh, my studio. Did you guys get one, or is that just? Um, no, I would be worried. Ah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, I'm also worried now. <laughs> I presumed we coordinated this, but no. Uh, okay. Po- Weird. Podcast <laughs> listeners at home, if you find a 500 balloon dropping from your ceiling, yeah. it was not us. We've traced it. The balloons are coming from inside the house. <laughs> Time to panic is now. Get out. Get out. <laughs> Well, in about 40 minutes' time when we finish our classic era review, our 501st one, which is Lisa's Axe. BT, which one's this? Uh, This is where the one where Lisa goes all Lizzie Borton and hacks up her parents. Oh, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) It's actually Lisa's sax. Oh, wow. You got that completely just befuddled. What? (laughs) What? Could you believe we didn't rehearse this? (laughs) All right, we're going to go watch that and we'll be back. And we are back, and we just watched our classic and final episode for this evening. This was Season 9, Episode 3, Lisa's Sax. First released in October of 1997, it was directed by Dominic Polcino, written by Al Jean in his first solo writing credit. Really? Yeah, normally had co-credits with Mike Race, but Hmm. yeah, his first Al Jean solo episode. In this episode, this is another flashback episode, but we learn the story of Bart's first day at school. Even though it's supposed to be about Lisa's saxophone. Hey guys, what'd you think? It's charming. 
It's it, I'm not as big a fan as I thought I was. Same. <laughs> Controversial opinion yeah. that might be, but um, I remember being very fond of this episode. Mm. I like Lisa played saxophone oh really still do yeah i play tennis saxophone which is what lisa plays firstly there's no such thing as a 200 dollars saxophone ever (laughs) not even in 1997 baby that is not even american dollars i mean i mean maybe mine cost 2000 this was around 2002 2003 mine cost 2000 dollars. yeah virtually any instrument really other than maybe like a ukulele or something i remember this episode more fondly than i think i experienced it then Mm. Yeah. No, I was sort of the same. Like, I feel, especially going through the critical analysis, there's a a bit of wasted space in this episode. Uh, Matt, I think this is a really well-structured one from a story perspective. I don't really like how A and B plots run, you know, parallel and then converge really nicely. Um, It is a little bit lacking in the laughs, especially in the front end, which usually they front end with a whole bunch of jokes. But towards the end, it does get funnier. So... Um, I mean, still a lot of quotable moments, and it's still a very well-constructed episode. But yeah, not didn't really smack me over the head with joy like they usually do. Yeah. No, no, Which is how joy works. <laughs> Joy's <laughs> pretty violent. I think I'm coming down. <laughs> I mean, I still liked this episode mm. and really enjoyed a lot about it, and there's a lot of quotable moments for me. But yeah, I found oh, pacing-wise, it was just a bit o- all over the place as well. But sometimes these flashback episodes are... Yeah, well, we have the interesting framing device of uh, Homer and Marge singing, which sort of works, And but I feel like I've lost the context for it. Cause it's like well, a, do you guys know what the reference is? Not entirely. No. It's a reference to a sitcom called All in the Family. I thought that's what it, yeah. Right. With the, what was the character's name? Archie Bunker. And mm. uh, like, I've never seen the show, but, you know, it's a very well-regarded sitcom. And yeah did a lot about talking about issues with uh, race and mm. uh, minorities and uh, social inequality and all that. So it's like, it's well regarded and well remembered. Now, the thing with this opening scene as well with Homer and Marge singing and fuck, it's shrill. Yeah, like yeah. Julie Kavner really leans on some of these notes very awkwardly. It's like, I actually ouch. don't mind it being so shrill as it is because I think it's a kind of performance tone. Like, I think it's a deliberate, mm. like, well, there's no way we can't get away with it. So let's just steer right into it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, part of the gag with this is that the All in the Family intro, what this is referencing, you know, it's a canned laughter sitcom, and part mm. of the joke in the intro is that the characters are having trouble reaching these high notes, and the physicality right. of the characters in that intro are reflecting that, and the studio audience is laughing along with, like, how ridiculous they're being trying to get these high notes. Right. So right. this part of the joke is lost on yeah. the animation non-studio audience thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and if you don't get the reference, you're not going to get the bit. Yeah, particularly because they are they're doing the outside shots, like they're doing the establishing shots, which I'm sure are pretty ripped from like the intro of the show. But like, there's not enough of her like straining for it to kind of land. No, none of the physicality of that like quote joke is sold in Marge's performance, which is a shame because again, I've mentioned this a million times when Simpsons are doing parody lyrics and the song mm. is slow. It yeah. makes it feel that much slower, and I don't know. The, the material but here was pretty average. Weirdly enough, I do really love Apu's inclusions, though. I feel like I yes. shouldn't, but just even for no reason, here's Apu. Yeah. And as much as I, you know, conflicted on whether or not you do the accent, given these, you know, uh, certain <laughs> elements about that, but even just his delivery of uh, when Herb's like, we need to get off my lungs, like, why don't you make me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His cadence on that is hilarious. 
Well, yeah, just his interactions as a yeah, totally non-essential character, and then <laughs> just uh, they keep pointing it out. But then at the end, where he just wanders into the scene, he's got a sandwich, yeah. he's making fun of Grandpa's <laughs> blindness, and everyone ends on a laugh. It's really odd, but I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But how about you, Chris? For better or worse, what's a moment from this episode that stands out to you? I think the the moment that stands out to me the most is how bad Homer is as a father in those opening moments. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I was reflecting on it when it happened. Homer's an awful father. And I, I get it. Like, he has to be kind of... Because it's a flashback episode, he has to be an oaf in current times mm. so that he can learn in the past so there's a narrative arc for us as an audience do you know what i mean like because we're opening in present he has to be bad in present so that he can learn in the past and then Mm -hmm. emerge at the tail end of the episode good yeah so from a story perspective that works but chronologically it makes no sense exactly Mm. but like the opening tiff he has with lisa it seems really i don't know rude mean nasty considering like he doesn't have any he's just watching tv it's not yeah. it's not anything significant. I do enjoy the back and forth of but dad, I have to practice. I'll practice you. I'll practice you. What does that mean? Is that a thing? I like that. I off. did like that. Same. I thought the scene was sort of reflective of a kind of trope that I don't think The Simpsons had done for a while up until mm. this point, which is, yeah, Homer screaming at Lisa to stop that infernal racket. And mm. I thought it was an interesting way for them to return to that, but the whole I'll practice you also really demonstrates how far they've come and how much they've dumbed Homer down. Yeah. I like the scene. Like, yeah, it's just interesting and reflective of The Simpsons as a whole. Mm. Yeah, but just to that, I think it gets away with it because there are some nice jokes. You know, Maggie walking past carrying the power drill. <laughs> and later on when <laughs> she Bart... She loves that fucking show. I know. Oh, she I love really the reprise when it's like, oh, Bart destroyed something you love. We'll destroy something Bart loves. Like, hey, it's like, don't worry. If that upsets you, we'll destroy something Maggie loves. Yeah. And her just cradling the drill is really funny. Oh, beautiful. Mm. That was my big heart moment on this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, also, like, even that, that Homer's letting Bart watch this, like, depressing dark expose of Krusty uh, with the guest star of this episode, Fiveish Finkel, playing Krusty. Fiveish Finkel. In the biography. Yeah. That's a mm. uh, person. Yeah, That's- so he's won a bunch of Emmys. He's been in a bunch of like big hour-long drama shows. I think Boston Legal was one of them. Hmm. I don't, do you know him, Chris? <laughs> no, no, I don't know him at all, unfortunately. I'm just having a quick Google to see if hmm. I uh, can find him. But It's a very hard name to spell as well. Yeah, I think I've heard that if you say his name five times in a mirror, he appears. <laughs> like I think it's just a cameo, though. I won an Emmy. <laughs> then he leaves. Yeah. <laughs> Brags about what am I doing here? Anyway, uh, BT, what's a moment from this episode that stands out to you for better or worse? <laughs> you know, what? just go with a always fun joke, and I hope it turns into a gif. Wink. In terms of, uh, you know, there's no telling how far Lisa will go if you nurture her gift. Lisa Simpson has won the Nobel Prize. Eh, that's boring. Lisa Simpson has won the Nobel Prize for kickboxing. Yeah, yeah. And I love how much more excited the announcer is. <laughs> There well, is a- it's for kickboxing. I mean, go on. Oh, that's a hard Nobel Prize to kick. Anyway, there are a few, I noticed, Homer fantasy jokes in this episode. Yeah. Mm. The other one where, yeah, he's imagining Patty and Selma melting outside in the heat wave. He's playing foosball with Michelangelo's David and the screen painting. Yep. Yep. Quite liked those. 
And, well, it's not a fantasy, but it is a flashback to the time that him and Barney got drunk and crashed their big wheels as kids. Mm. And his, uh, his uh, inspirational uh, message from his father as he oh, thinks back to right. that as well. Yeah. You're as dumb as a mule and twice as ugly. If a strange man offers you a ride, I say, take it. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. <laughs> and to your point about Homer being a bad father, yeah, him remembering about crashing the wagon is when he's trying to give Maggie beer. Yeah, yeah. but his father gave him beer, so it's there's kind of time. a through line there. Yeah, at least. <laughs> And what stands out to me about this episode, God, we haven't really mentioned the story as a whole yet, but mm. I don't know who to go for, Bart or Lisa. Give the people what they want. or <laughs> I think it is actually pretty interesting the way this episode does that. They're trying to tell a story about Lisa, but Bart has to be involved in some way. Yeah, but they also you know, recognize it. I do like Marge's line of, you know, basically, at least, ah. Lisa's all, can you tell the story and not have it be all about Bart? It's like, sure, honey. Bart just finished his first day of school and Bart was having trouble fitting in. It's like, sorry, this is just kind of how it goes. Yeah. But it's good, you know, because we've done like all those like major events, you know, each Mm. of the kids getting born, you know, when Homer and Marge got together and got married and all that. So, you know, doing a flashback episode, mm. you got to find something interesting to do. And I think, yeah, the origin of Lisa's sax and Bart's like intro to school, like, because especially Bart, like, you really feel for little Barty mm. boy. His yeah. head's enormous. Bart's lo- sad art is, like, heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love how, yeah, he thought to make it obvious as well and just write blood with an arrow. Well, he didn't yeah. have any coloured pencils. So, yeah, I suppose. You know. um, and next we'll learn the origin of Maggie's pacifier. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, just on uh, kids as well. I love how they're drawn with, yeah, still the same size eyes, but they're smaller. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And I think the designs on all the kids across the board are just so cute here. Yeah. Like, I really like Millhouse and his, like, even somehow bigger glasses. <laughs> yeah. And is it Jimbo's? Um, mm. Who is it? Nelson's Bunny Rabbit t shirt? Yeah, it's weird. They put both the bullies in, like, yeah, these adorable shirts. And yeah. I think, yeah, Nelson's got a duck and Jimbo's got a bunny. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Freaking adorable. And Principal so Skinner like thinks to men introduce the school bully at the uh, yeah. uh, welcoming assembly. <laughs> How introduction goes. Mm. And in this scene as well, this is the last vocal appearance for Doris Growl, who played Lunch Lady oh, really? Doris. Yeah. She'd actually died two years earlier to this episode yeah. airing, but yeah, they had a sound on file, I guess. But yeah, they quietly retired the character until nine seasons later when she reappeared in a season eighteen episode. So weird. Mm, yeah. That's a weird decision to bring her back. Mm. Well, yeah, because especially it was just Doris Grau, this was her one voice in the show. Mm. Like, they retired the character because she died. Then when they brought her back, they just had Tress McNeil doing it, and it doesn't sound like her. It's Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, mm. just new character. Yeah. How hard is that? Play count. Have you seen this episode before today? Yeah. Yeah. Any memories attached with this one? Uh, it messed up my brain a little bit because I now can't see an oboe without being oboe <laughs> <laughs> My dad would always talk about my saxophone as saxophone as what is it saxophone saxophone saxophone. So that one's tied into this episode as well. Was there any reason you picked the sax, or did it pick you? Mm. I was uh, it picked me because I was tall. <laughs> That's it. I was I think like five five in like year eight or something stupid oh, wow. or like year six or something ridiculous, and so mm. they were like, "You're tall." Here's a big instrument. Off you go. Uh, Saddle trombone. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because, yeah, when it came time to pick instruments for band, yeah, I went last. And, yeah, typically there was just trumpets, saxophones, all fucking taken. But I could still play trombone. 
So, yeah, that was technically my first musical instrument. I played trombone for two years. By played, I mean barely. Mm-hmm. I just did it so I could get out of class two days a week. <laughs> nice. Fair. That's where all musical talent starts, I think. Yeah. Exactly. And then I went to music school. <laughs> hey. Wow, the irony. More school. <laughs> mm. So, was this a particularly wacky episode of The Simpsons? I mean, outside of Homer's fantasies, not really. No. I guess how absolutely crushed Lisa's sax gets. <laughs> I love the piling on, yeah. The the two the car, the truck, Nelson coming on yeah. stomping it. Then Yeah, I feel like this tricycle falling over is a reference to something. Yeah. Yeah, it must be. Any other wackiness? When they don't have an air conditioner, their stopgap solution is getting cranky. <laughs> just snowball yes. wires. Yeah, rare appearance of snowball one in an mm. episode. Back then, just known as Snowball. The uh, canned laughter at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the f- general framing device of it is kind of, I don't know if it's wacky, but it's a little off kilter, a little bit weird. Ah, how about a reference to the Tracy Ullman show, having crudely drawn <laughs> filler material? Yeah. <laughs> I love that as well. Like, because we, I feel like we ran into this with, and Maggie Makes 3 as well, where they're telling a story that hasn't taken place that long ago. Mm. So, like, Homer's big, grandiose intros are just... Yep. The artist formerly known as Prince was Prince. Uh, also, just how utterly mean Bart's kindergarten teacher is. Add an extra clap, not college material. She is so dry and shit. <laughs> oh my god, just... And what is she making these kids do? Like, recite the alphabet on their own in front of the class in kindergarten? After, like, day two? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Savage. And is it fair to call it wacky if uh, Homer is watching Twin Peaks and watching a man dance with a unicorn? <laughs> That's some sneaky peeks. <laughs> Twin Peaks. The lives inside a tree. Sneaky peaks. Uh, yeah, have you guys seen Twin Peaks? I have. What do you think? I really enjoy it. Yeah? I think it's pretty full on and uh, a great show. And you haven't, BT. I have not, which uh, always scares me because I feel like I'm coming out of, uh, you know, weird television closet. Mm. Because it seems weird television in my bag. And the fact that I haven't seen it is weird. I do have kind of a bad taste in my mouth for David Lynch because I didn't like Mulholland Drive. I don't like Mulholland Drive either. Yeah. So, so, but I do like uh, Twin Peaks. So give it a shot. I can no, no, I, I keep meaning to, and I just keep not getting around to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, because I I've only seen the first episode, and even then the pilot isn't. They don't get that level of dancing with horses weird. Like, <laughs> so if, how quickly does Twin Peaks devolve into dancing with a horse under a traffic light? Pretty quickly. Yeah. I was going to say, like, stick with it. It'll make more sense. And then I realized that that's not true. <laughs> that's not true that's, at all. That's not a steal. Uh, from my understanding. It's worth watching though. If not. For anything other than to be like, to have opinions about that show. Because there's a lot of things that drew influence from it. So, oh, yeah. 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 You know what? New podcast idea. Eh? Two idiots watch Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking James from Pods in the Key of Springfield. I fucking love it. <laughs> <laughs> but how about the heart of this episode? Did you guys feel the bumps? Maggie and the drill. <laughs> <laughs> she loves her drill I I didn't feel them as strongly as I thought I was going to mm. If that's anything to say They're certainly there They're in this episode But realising that he wants to be a comedian Or that he wants to be funny And that to, mm. to get past being seen as kind of stupid or bad uh, Or yeah, sad like he has it, nothing else Yeah, exactly That he's going to yeah, be the class clown Yeah, mm. that, that made me feel Lisa getting her saxophone was but it wasn't as strong as I thought it was going to be. 
No, and it's part of like where I feel like the pacing in this episode is a bit all over the place because they also introduced the idea that there's a heat wave going I was on about to say. in like the third act. Yeah, way late. It's yeah. like you could have dropped that in much earlier. And it wouldn't have been hard. It's just have the characters sweating a little, have a fan on. It, it'll, it felt very obvious the way they laid it out to add some last-minute stakes for Homer to make a choice. It, yeah, I mean, even then, Marge, I think, twice says, you know, here are all the difficulties we, we were facing, and it's on the second one they say, and we had a heat wave. And then even then, the final sting is, ah, oh, we've got some money in the air conditioning fund again. It's like, well, it could have been hot now. Yeah. You could have referenced that. Yeah. We know Lisa's going to get the saxophone. There's no, um, mm. there's no mystery about where the plot is going, right? Yeah. So it's not about how Homer gets the saxophone, or if he gets the saxophone, rather. It's the journey through how he gets it and what it costs him in terms of, you know, giving up finances or, or, or emotional labor or, or any of that sort mm. of stuff. But it pretty much just happens, like, over the course of two minutes. He's in a bar... Then he goes and gets and looks at an air conditioner. Then he gets a saxophone. Then there's a sign in the store, and then he buys the saxophone. And like it happens quite quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please give me a sign. The <laughs> an instrument is a great way to encourage a gifted child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and like in terms of heart, I think the episode hit on an interesting bittersweet thing as well. With okay, and that's when Bart was miserable at school, and Lisa wasn't mm. uh, was unfulfilled and unchallenged. Uh, Mum, that's still the case. Yeah, I thought that was a very great thing to hit on especially with a flashback episode where we're seeing a point before this where the characters were learning and growing and evolving and this is what they learn and grow and evolve into yeah Mm, and mm. there's some sort of bittersweet thing where yeah nothing changes and i thought that was really interesting yeah but yeah the heart of uh, lisa finally getting her sacks as well and yeah what do we think of that it's again it's cute and it's got that moment of Homer doing the right thing, but I guess because it's so sudden and so final. Yeah. It's like, okay. I think the montage at the end of previous episodes... Really drives uh, that. Yeah, drives it home and strengthens it. Well, Baker Street is a solid song, and uh, Mm. that's always a winner. Fucking, yeah, absolute perfect music cue to go over it. And, yeah, just sort of reinforcing, yeah, all these really important scenes involving Lisa's sex over the Mm -hmm. years. You know, from Lisa's pony, uh, moaning Lisa, separate vocations. You know, these are all really key moments, and I'm glad Mm. they reference them again. Oh, absolutely. Especially Lisa's pony, because that episode is great. Mm. Oh, Mm -hmm. God, so good. But ultimately, did it feel like an episode of The Simpsons? Sure it did. Or an episode of All in the Family, but whatever. Yeah, it did. It felt like an episode of The Simpsons. Yeah, I don't have any problem with the character integrity at all. Yeah, this is pretty much pure integrity, so... Yeah. Pure, uncut integrity. Apu probably wouldn't leave work this much or for this (laughs) long. No, but again, just the idea he's just standing on their lawn for no reason, just loitering. Even in a flashback episode as well where we're putting details into the past, yeah, this one still feels like it fits Mm -hmm. very well. But yes or no, would you watch it again? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'd watch it again, and if I was going to watch it again, I might put it in a playlist. What playlist does this go in? Dr. Hibbert's hair throughout the ages. He's got oh, like yeah. a Mr. T thing going on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the obvious one is uh, Lisa's saxophone uh, playlist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every episode mentioned in that montage, yeah, you could build a great playlist out of. And yeah, all the flashback episodes, yeah, the way we was, the way we wasn't. Um... Expensive schools the Simpsons can't afford to go to. They pop every now. Bart oh, and Genius. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there's a bunch with Lisa wanting the to The one that Maggie wants to go to that's run by Simon Cowell. Yep. All that kind of thing. <laughs> In that very good episode, I assure you. Mm. From season 15. <laughs> okay, so that was sarcasm. Yes. But I can't remember the episode. <laughs> so... 
Yeah, that's good. Uh, Chris, we'll turn to you. What would you like to change about this episode? I think there's something about it that needs changing. I just can't mm. quite put my finger on it. Yeah, it might, it might need down. something at the top end that restructures or, or sets a narrative earlier. I don't mm. know. I feel like maybe there's something early that wastes time. Either Homer needs to be introduced to the problem getting in the way of getting Lisa's saxophone mm. earlier or like what it's going to cost him and he has to weigh it up. Yeah. Or it means to pivot more around Bart? I don't know. Yeah, well, I was kind of thinking because I didn't really think much of anything in the crusty biopic. I was going to say, material. And, yeah, if you cut that whole thing, I think, yeah, it'd move a lot quicker. You know what would be good, actually? Is if mm-hmm. Bart was, if there was some revelation that this is new information, that Bart being sad and unfulfilled was new to him, rather than him taking it in stride, that this was mm-hmm. kind of a shock and a bit new to him. Yeah. That it kind of had a bit of emotional weight, just so that the past Bart and the present Bart were kind of more connected. Well, I think, yeah, because especially a story that they should remember because it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. But uh, how about you, BT? What do you reckon? What would you change? Yeah, get rid of that Crusty the Clown story bit. Have a bit in there about the heat wave then because that's better. And even in talking about the flashback, have it mentioned because just it drops in at such a weird point. Yeah. And I mean, I, I know where you could make cuts, but I don't know what to add exactly. Like, you know... I enjoy Grandpa's uh, monologue about, oh, we're telling a story about such and such. And everyone was dancing the funky Grandpa, which is a line I like. Yeah. But it does nothing. And it's like, that could free up some time for something else. But he's kind of got three of these moments throughout Mm. the episode. And not any one of them are particularly that good. Yeah. They're all fine. But considering that it's eating up time, you could put somewhere else. Yeah, so much like you said, I've I've want to change something, but I'm just not too sure what it is because it's not nothing is glaringly obviously bad. It's just there's something a little bit off about it. Yeah, mm. I wish Bart's depression at school was more about the students because yeah, he's got this bitchy teacher who I actually think this is a pretty good character uh, for him to come up against. Just this really dry, no nonsense mm. kindergarten teacher, I think is a really interesting uh, dynamic there. But I think Bart's depression should be more driven by not getting along with the other kids and not relating to him or something. Because this episode does a nice thing of doing a subtle, this is when Bart and Milhouse met. Mm. And it is such a cute, adorable, funny moment that mm. I wish there was more of him not getting along with other kids to give this scene a bit more weight. True. And then he discovers he can, maybe if he can't be their friend, he can be their clown. Yeah. Well, in the way as well that Milhouse is almost his hype man Mm. at certain points. So, yeah, making a friend in Milhouse was probably the confidence boost he needed, I think. Yeah, but again, to make the Lisa story more about Bart again, (laughs) of course. That's Uh, what people want. Bart by the barrelful. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that about does it. Chris, do you have any other notes? The idea of Bart becoming a, a faceless slug, I yes. thought, by the school counsellor was very, very funny. Oh, uh, yeah. Dr. J. Lauren Pryor playlist. He doesn't pop up that much. Uh, and my the the one that stood out to me and the one that I think probably gave me the most bumps in terms of like feeling for this episode was when Homer walks over to the King Toots store mm-hmm. or it's uh, just before... Uh, the sign is put up. The Simpsons theme is played, but the uh, saxophone line is strengthened. Oh, right, yeah. So you can hear the sax uh, line come forward more and take some more prominent kind of like anticipatory place there. So I, I thought that was a nice musical direction. Mm. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Oh, God, I almost want to watch it again to see if uh, they do lean into the saxophone sound more in the soundtrack of this mm. episode. Mm. And mm. I think in the credits as well. 
Yeah. yeah. Sure. Oh, definitely. How about you, BT? Any other notes? Yeah, sure. I do like Bart's line of, Lisa, you are eight and I am ten. In those two years, I've learned a few <laughs> things. Give me that sax! <laughs> Just launches at her. I quite like that. There's a bit. With the school they go to, I didn't catch the name, but the full thing is like school for snotty girls and mama's boys. Yeah. <laughs> and I like the pit, the sales pitches that, oh, 75% of our graduates go on to first grade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's one that definitely flew over my head as a kid. Uh, I can't what the setup is when mine's like, Balzac. But oh, Balzac yeah, name one person who survived without, without an air conditioner. Just because you can't think of it doesn't mean you swear. And it then, was uh, a little bit of that delivery that I don't like where it was like, Homer, that's the name of a person. But yeah, but I do really like um, Homer's, if ifs and buts and candy and nuts. I don't remember how the rest of that goes. And if anyone's out there wondering, it's we would all have a mem- Merry Christmas is the end of that. Ah. Yes. Oh, if, is if, it? There you go. I looked it up one day because it was driving me mad. I only know the Dwight Schrute version if ifs and buts were candies and nuts then every day would be unterdunkfest yeah so that's basically the reference mm. do you like bart's line with his again terrible kindergarten teacher of she finishes the story of the ugly duck and he's like you see children everyone has hope even me no not you <laughs> it's brutal. So, brutal, so brutal extra clap nut colored material mm-hmm. uh, i do really like mo's bit of you know he's got the jar of pickled eggs and one cockroach he's <laughs> like hey who are you this health inspector no but i am uh, i want your free drink is this a syringe? It's a parasol. Yeah. <laughs> it's a parasol. Oh, and sorry, Homer's bit where it's like, you're not getting a scholarship unless you're part of a minority group. Ah, excelente. Mucho gracias, señorita. <laughs> uh, no. Ah, so. He says señorata there. Señorata, yeah. I knew, <laughs> so I, was getting, I knew I was getting it wrong by getting it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love with Ned being like, oh, I hate to be a suspicious Aloysius, but did you take my air conditioner? Yeah, I do like it from friendly I- to really laying that on which is rare for Ned but it's nice yeah quite liked the he, he without sin cast the first stone yeah. mm-hmm. and who would have thought that kid's corpse would end up on the front of Mr. Burns's steps <laughs> oh dear god <laughs> and yeah and this is the introduction of uh, Bart uh, requesting people to devour on his pants I see eat pants you might say mm. <laughs> exactly it's time to rank this thing and it's Chris's turn to go first I think this is a really good episode of the simpsons but mm-hmm. i don't think it's as good as i remembered it and uh i think there's quite a few narrative things that deviate like pull air or pull momentum out of the episode so i am going to rank it a silver Ooh, so so silver <laughs> <laughs> all right oh it's a tough one yeah i'm on a gilver borderline mm-hmm. and man well, yeah when we picked this episode and i was planning to in my show notes i was like man this could be a season nine to get a unanimous cubic how wrong i was uh look i'm I'm, i might change my mind but i'm going with the gold and just past benefits and a lot of things that this episode does that i really like but has a lot of shortcomings but they're not awful Mm. like everything's just bit huh that could have been better bt yeah, I'm on the Gilver borderline as well. It's, you know, a solid episode. It's just always hard to tell what are you viewing with uh, rose-coloured nostalgia goggles. Mm. This one, I think I had the same thing. I'm sitting down, I'm like, oh, okay, great, I'm really prepped for this one. I was like, oh, okay, this is not as great. And, you know, to be entirely fair, maybe it has the fatigue if I've seen it a bunch of times and yeah. it's lost a bit of impact. But the fact that in the critical watch, I can pick out those little problems and the fact that we all kind of agree there's just a little, something's a little bit flat here, uh, I will go with a silver. Which is, again, I was right on the border, but I'm like, you know what? The only reason I'm pushing it to gold is for the nostalgia. I am mm. going to go with the silver. Oh, is that... Mm, mm. It's rough, man. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, this yeah. one's surprising at how 
unaffected I was as mm. as I anticipated it was. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, we watched and Maggie makes three the other day, and damn, we ne- nearly tears in the eyes, man. That was that was a oh. tough one. Mm. Yeah. yeah, this one surprisingly, I was expecting that buckshot of emotion, and eh, one really that. Yeah, I think I'm bumping it down. Wow. I wasn't trying to do that, though. I was just like... No, <laughs> but I keep thinking I was about basically my own stalling re- for you to make up your mind. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> silver as well. Let's make this a unanimous silver. Woo! That's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be the first episode from season nine to be called a unanimous silver as well. Hmm. There we go. All right, Chris. Well, yeah, that about does it for the Simpsons Index for today. But thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on. It's always mm-hmm. a pleasure. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, people want to listen to more of you. Where can they do that? They can listen to me on Shut Up and Take My Podcast, which is a Futurama podcast where we rank episodes against each other. Uh, we are coming up to our final gauntlet battle. Mm. We are one episode away from have completing all every episode of Futurama. And wow. so we are about to take the best episodes from each season and pit them against each other to find the best episode. Uh, and that's coming up in the next few months. So if you want to catch up, binge everything. Binge all, all 140. <laughs> 49 episodes. Or you can listen to me on Roll to Cast. That's R-O-L-E to Cast, uh, which is a actual play RPG podcast. First season is Cyberpunk 2020, and our second season is a Vampire the Masquerade. Our third season is coming out in the next few months. We can't talk about it right now, but uh, it's really exciting. Oh, damn that NDA. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man, I can't talk about it. I'm so curious, but all in good time. Mm-hmm. BT, our other show. Our other show is Thrones of Game, the only Game of Thrones podcast that watches the show backwards. I've already seen the entire series, but Elliot had never watched a single episode until we started watching in reverse order. Gives us a unique perspective, and as every other Game of Thrones podcast has run out of material since the show's ending, we only just began. We're about halfway through, and it's, uh, it's a good time. Woo! All right, guys. Yeah, that's 501 episode reviews for The Simpsons. 501 goes great after 500. (laughs) That it does. Again, thank you very much, Chris. Thank you so much, Elliot. Thanks, BT. Sorry? That that was just thanking BT as well. Oh, You should probably do that. (laughs) I should do it too. Thank you, BT. That's fine. What else was I doing? (laughs) And I'm your host, Elliot J. O'Neill. That's all the mustard in the house! What? It's all the mustard in the house. It's all the mustard in the house. Thank you for listening to the Simpsons Index podcast, which is also an online spreadsheet available at thesimpsonsindex.com. You can chat to us online at facebook.com slash the Simpsons Index or at Simpsons Index on Twitter or Instagram. Now there's no bonus scenes for this episode, so we'll catch you next week.